Shining the light on government every week. It's full disclosure here on the WMAY Morning News Feed. David Grising is the president and CEO of the Better Government Association. Joins us here each week as we discuss the latest that's happening in government and how it's impacting you. David, good morning as always. Good morning, Jim. Glad to be with you. We continue to uh, see the news this week dominated by pandemic-related issues. Lots of maneuvering in courtrooms and at the state house, in the governor's office, Department of Public Health. Uh, one of the, uh, the the latest intriguing developments, of course, we had a, a series of court cases in downstate Illinois last week. Attorney Thomas DeVore has been challenging a number of the governor's initiatives, particularly as they relate to schools, mask mandates, and uh, people being being uh, kept out of school, et cetera. Uh, he's gone to court and has actually gotten a couple of court rulings uh, against the mask mandate, saying that students cannot be compelled to wear masks absent uh, a formal quarantine from a county health department. Uh, in response, uh, Governor Pritzker signed a revised executive order late Friday night, uh, changing some of the language in order to make it easier to keep those mask mandates in place without that formal quarantine. Uh, this just to continues to go back and forth, David. Yeah, it continues to go back and forth, really. Since the pandemic started, there have been challenges to uh, Governor Pritzker's orders or the power of the state, broadly speaking, uh, to regulate uh, uh, mask wearing and other safety measures. And, and like those others, um, uh, these court rulings don't seem to uh, have lasting effect. Uh, you know, previously, uh, the courts have all upheld Pritzker, uh, upheld Pritzker's powers. And in, this, in the, these cases, it looks as if uh, Pritzker, with this executive order, is finding a way to circumvent these rulings uh, in the near term and to continue to do what... Um, what uh, many people across the state want, which is to have safety in the schools through the wearing of masks and have measures by which to enforce uh, the uh, decision of the administration that mask wearing is a safety measure that ought to happen. And it doesn't need to rely on uh, full-blown quarantine in, or isolation orders in order to make that happen. You know, it, it is uh, uh, obvious that uh, we shouldn't be making public health decisions on the basis of public polling, but I think it is worth noting the polls generally do show uh, strong public support for the safety measures to try to keep the uh, virus from spreading further. Yet uh, in the midst of that, we have seen several Illinois lawmakers uh, trying to move legislation that would uh, restrict some of these measures. Uh, one bill that was uh, filed in the last few days, a Republican from Morris, David Welter, who filed a bill essentially prohibiting the state from implementing any, quote, health-related precautions, which would seem to not only uh, eliminate uh, mask mandates or vaccination requirements for COVID, but would actually, as it's written, it would appear to eliminate the ability to require any vaccination, any immunization for a student to attend school, which, of course, has been the policy of the state for decades here doesn't look like these uh, bills are going to go very far, but it is still uh, pretty telling in the political climate of uh, lawmakers uh, attempting to do these things to roll back some of these safety restrictions. Well, yeah, and, and uh, many of the powers, including those mentioned in this particular bill, uh, emanate from the constitutional power that the governor has uh, to protect the health and safety of residents of the state. And um, not only that, but the fact that uh, this is a bill coming out of uh, you know the Republican caucus uh, would indicate 
that uh, which has no ability really to move legislation that the Democrats don't want because of the Democratic supermajority in both houses. Uh, this would seem to indicate that this is uh, this is a political point being made uh, that there's probably very little uh, likelihood that it would move forward. Um, uh, point taken, I guess, <laughs> you, we might say in terms of the politics of the state. We know there's resistance in some quarters to mask wearing. Uh, but when, when you think about it, if something like this passed, um, that would severely limit the governor's power to intervene in a health situation, regardless of whether it's this pandemic or something else down the road. And I would think that a lot of people in the state would think, well, no, we do want the governor to be able to step in. Even if we don't agree with a certain action he's taking, uh, we do need the state to be able to come to the rescue uh, when we have serious health uh, problems at hand. Uh, another pandemic-related issue that has dragged on for a long time uh, and has created no small amount of hardship around the state, and that has been the moratorium on evictions uh, put in place initially because there was such uh, economic turmoil from all of the pandemic-related shutdowns. People who saw their livelihoods uh, really uh, disrupted and uh, found themselves unable to make their, their rent or mortgage payments. Uh, as it has gone on, a lot of landlords have been uh, very disrupted stressed about this, saying, hey, we, we need to uh, to be able to live, too. We've got to be able to get our rent payments here. And they feel as though some people have taken advantage of this moratorium to be able to, to stay in without keeping up on their rent. Uh, and we've seen this extended repeatedly over these 18 months, but it does appear that this state eviction moratorium is coming to an end now. No, it does appear so. And the state has made a point of saying, um, hey, we've actually provided a lot of support for uh, eviction uh, over the last year and plus. Uh, last year, $230 million distributed. Uh, this year, $500 million in order to help keep people in their apartments, rental assistance, it's called. Uh, this new provision would uh, still uh, have a carve-out for so-called covered persons, people who aren't able to pay their rent uh, for reasons stemming from the pandemic. And there are certain income limits, people uh, earning Individuals earning $99,000 and below are eligible, and uh, joint filers uh, $198,000 and below. And so while, broadly speaking, there's no longer a blanket uh, you know, relief for people who can't pay their rent, um, there still will be relief available for certain parties who might be particularly vulnerable. And so rest, uh, help is coming for these landlords who are uh, concerned about their loss of income, uh, but um, it's not universal. We're talking with David Grising, president and CEO of the Better Government Association. This is Full Disclosure every Wednesday morning here on WMAY. Uh, David, yesterday, uh, a couple of Republican lawmakers and uh, a group called the Illinois Opportunity Project came out with their push for what would be an advisory referendum next year. But the goal is to uh, gauge public support for uh, an expanded recall provision. Right now, Illinois voters technically have the ability to recall the governor, but it is a, a very uh, cumbersome process to do so, and it seems unlikely it could actually be carried out successfully. So this would uh, simplify that process and extend it to all statewide elected officials, to lawmakers, to local officials as well. We have uh, seen recall play out uh, in California this year, resulting in no change in the governor's office, but at considerable expense to, to wait 
wage this recall election. So is recall a good idea? Has the BGA looked at this concept in general? Is this a tool that voters need to have? Uh, the BJ's policy team has not had the time yet to dig into this issue, which really has come up, as you point out, within, in the aftermath of the California recall. Um, the recall provision is very limited right now. And um, the idea, especially in the aftermath of uh, the corruption scandal that we've seen, the idea of voters having a say, for example, about the House Speaker or Senate president or voters being able to remove uh, people who have been indicted. Uh, you know, the proponents have talked about Senator Tom Cullerton, who is indicted for uh, embezzling money from a labor union, uh, yet he continues to serve in the Senate. Um, that is uh, a not a good look for the state government. And so I can understand where they're coming from. Uh, don't know the ramifications more broadly, which is why the BJ needs to dig into this a little bit more. Um, what we do, another interesting provision here is that it would allow for re recall, but it does not have the second step that California has of then also proposing candidates for to replace that person. That's how Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor, for example. Uh, this would just follow the line of succession. Uh, it, it's, a, it's an interesting provision, and it's obviously very timely. Uh, the challenge it has, of course, is, again, that this is a Republican proposal, and I don't see Democratic support out the gate for it just yet. Uh, but it is a very interesting topic in the aftermath of California, and it certainly uh, merits uh, some study because it could be a benefit ultimately to the, to the voters uh, of the state of Illinois. Expect a lot of discussion about this in the weeks and months to come, but we have more to talk about this morning as well, and we'll continue with that in just a moment here. It's full disclosure with the Better Government Association here on WMAY. Sunshine. 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 All right, welcome back to Full Disclosure. David Greising is the president and CEO of the Better Government Association. We turn our attention now to the uh, city of Chicago. And uh, what happens up there, of course, can have ramifications for the entire state. Uh, Chicago uh, rolling out its new city budget. Uh, and, and David, I, I haven't looked at this very closely uh, based upon what you mentioned to me in an email last night. I'm guessing you're looking at this as sort of a textbook way of to, as to how not to do <laughs> big city budget budgeting, uh, considering it, uh, it's relying pretty heavily on uh, some one-time funding to try to uh, make some semblance of balance in the books. Well, absolutely. Uh, the reliance on uh, bailout money from COVID relief uh, is, is striking. Uh, there is very little effort to cut costs of the city. Uh, there's a, a nearly $80 million property tax hike, uh, which is a very controversial issue in Chicago as elsewhere, uh, although the property tax hike was previously approved and is not really a new initiative. It's a $17 billion budget, and um, altogether the mayor has at her disposal about $1.9 billion 
from federal COVID relief. Uh, I guess the good news in this case is that she's not spending all of it in one year. Um, we've seen Chicago mayors spend billions of dollars uh, that were supposed to be spread out over years, such as what Mayor Richard M. Daley did with the Skyway uh, lease and with the parking meter lease, where they said this is going to be used for years and years and years, and instead was spent really in, in a year or two. In this case, she's spending it over three years. And so uh, it's not ideal by any means to have a mayor balance a budget with you using one-time uh, federal bailout money. Uh, but at this point, uh, Chicago's situation is such that she had little choice and she was able to deliver uh, a budget uh, thanks mainly to this 780-some million dollars in federal COVID relief. One of the reasons this is so important, of course, is because as Chicago goes, often so goes the state, or at the very least, if Chicago finds itself in a big hole, uh, it often turns to the rest of the state for some assistance, some changes in policy or direction of funding to, uh, to help them climb out of that hole. Are there any big red flags here that you've seen yet, David, that uh, suggest that at some point Chicago could be turning to Springfield and saying, hey, we need help? You know, uh, there's nothing that has jumped out uh, just yet, and, and that may be a reflection in part of uh, the fact that this particular mayor has had very little uh, effectiveness in Springfield. And to hold out uh, the idea of help from Springfield in, a, in an election, uh, as a, in the run-up to an election, uh, uh, when she really has built no track record of success there, uh, would probably be politically uh, a, a misstep. Uh, but you're right. Uh, Chicago often turns to Springfield for help with funding, with school funding in particular. Uh, and um, it wouldn't be a shock to see uh, the city again do so. But there's nothing built into this budget uh, that seems to indicate there will be an effort to make a big push in Springfield. Of course, we always encourage you to go see the Better Government Association website at bettergov.org. Lots of very interesting reading there. Uh, and there's an article there. Uh, it's the uh, the front page story on the BGA's website about how uh, a mayor in northern Illinois could effectively wind up uh, becoming sort of a water czar for the region. Uh, this guy has had some controversy of his own, but this is a fascinating read, David. Yeah, it's really an important development in, in the north central part of the state, um, which is seeing, due to climate change and, and growth, it is seeing its uh, natural aquifers dry up, and, and the natural uh, aquifers will no longer be able to serve uh, many of these south suburban communities of Chicago uh, going forward. So uh, Bob Odekirk, the mayor of Joliet, has uh, struck a deal with the city of Chicago for uh, a, a below-rate water, and now he then is port sort of uh, uh, selling water rights to communities that are uh, along the the line of a 31-mile-long uh, pipe that is being constructed from uh, from Chicago's water system to Joliet at a cost of 1.4 billion dollars that the city of Joliet, frankly, does not have. And so in order to gain funding for this, uh, he's bringing in, trying to bring in suburban communities uh, to give them reduced price water in exchange for committing to the construction of this plant. Um, and uh, there's some carping about the fact that Odekirk now will have all this power over the region uh, uh, between himself and in the city. Um, 
and especially with regard to his hardball tactics, because those communities that don't participate, he's saying, will pay much higher water rates in the future, and they're going to need to tap into this water. Uh, as you mentioned, there's also controversy over his past. He had a he had a pushing match with some Black Lives Matter protesters, and there was this odd letter from the uh, city sheriff uh, indicating that he might be under federal investigation. Uh, when in criminal investigation, I should say, when in fact uh, nothing has emerged about that. So that, those are in his background. They don't seem to be slowing Odekirk down at all. He's pushing forward with this Joliet water pipe and, and all the residual benefits to Joliet and the other communities, he says. And this seems to be going forward. So we, we thought it was important to note that. And, and let people know what was going on. Illinois government at all levels. It's a lot of things, but boring is never one of them. So <laughs> with that, go read the whole thing at the Better Government Association website. David, how do people reach you in the BGA the rest of the week? Great. I'm at dgreising at bettergov.org. That's D-G-R-E-I-S-I-N-G at bettergov.org. And our website is bettergov.org. And, of course, we're here each week, full disclosure, on the WMAY morning news feed. David, thank you so much, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, Jim. Bye-bye.